Welcome to More Than Therapy, where we do more than therapy, where you get more than therapy, more than therapy, from morethantherapy.org. All right. And welcome to another episode of More Than Therapy. Today, we interview with Asia Elzine Platt, a licensed clinical social worker and life coach in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Asia, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Yes, yes. So tell us about your mental health help work in this community. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have been, um, I've been doing crisis counseling. Uh, I started off doing crisis counseling back in 2008. I was working with victims of domestic violence and sexual assault and human trafficking. I did that for a number of years and then I moved on to working with families who um, were recently homeless. And now I am working uh, as a as a therapist in the in the school. So I work with um, K through 12, providing therapy. Uh, I also I'm also a mindset life coach, uh, and I work uh, primarily uh, with women who have experienced intimate partner violence and are feeling a little bit stuck and have and have felt like they've lost themselves somewhere in their relationship and trying to reconnect with their with themselves and their purpose. And so I. I come alongside them and help them uh, with mindset around that. Uh, I'm also interested in working with men who have been abusers as well. Um, and I, that's something that I also do. I, I'm a co-facilitator uh, for a Strong Fathers program where we work with men who have been, some have been court-ordered, some um, are self-referred, and they come and sit in our in our Strong Fathers uh, group and learn about healthy relationships and parenting and all that good stuff. Reminds me of a story. One time, it was when I lived in Connecticut, I had to go to one of those classes. I was um, in a relationship and I moved out and I came home one day and all my electronical equipment was, cords were cut and they could say, oh, that was considered domestic. So they made me go to this eight week program for domestic violence and I didn't do anything wrong. I was just, I was the victim of somebody terrorizing my house because of a breakup. But because we were in an intimate relationship, they indicated that it was considered domestic. She had to do her course of whatever she had to do, and I had to do mine. They put me in a room with some real domestic violence people, and I would explain my story, and they would be so mean to me because my story wasn't the same, and they thought I was minimizing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I did find that our program to be very beneficial, even though I was not having any anger issues or not a perpetrator of domestic violence. I learned that a number of um, coping skills regarding emotional um, man- maintenance, management, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it was one of the seeds that allowed me to want to be a mental health counselor years later. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and then those, pro- those the programs like that are, um, are really helpful, um, regardless of what 
level of involvement you had in some sort of an altercation because um, one of the one of the premises of, of the group is um, of the curriculum is um, cognitive behavioral um, where you're learning to connect your thoughts and your feelings and how that relates to your behavior and managing those thoughts and feelings and so that you can manage your behavior and I think that's a, a huge takeaway for a lot of the a lot of guys and also learning a lot about um, about development of, of children and generational patterns and how to correct and correct those generational patterns or you know you know break cycles of of certain you know maladaptive behaviors and right. and, and violence in some cases right because a lot of that is learned behavior it's not necessarily embedded but if they experienced it especially before the age of five it becomes a part of their psyche and it's culturally embedded in them to act in such ways and it's sad in some cases that they don't get help until in many cases, it's too late. They've already impacted the one they loved, mm-hmm. as well as their children who they love, right. which may perpetuate a cycle of violence mm-hmm. throughout, as it's a learned norm. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <clears throat> so, I see that you have a podcast. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, yes. That's my, my latest project. It's um, I launched it at the beginning of the year. It's called Black Healers in Focus. And it is currently streaming on um, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Spotify, and uh, I also it's also embedded in my website. My website is Arnep Center for Thriving. Uh, so it's so it's arnepc4t.com, uh, and that's um, A R N E P C number four T dot com. And so uh, what Black Healers in Focus is about. So um, my objective with it is, uh, there's, I have a few. Um, one is to highlight um, Black Ameri- uh, African-American mental health and wellness providers in the triangle. And uh, the other is to just sort of raise awareness and have meaningful conversations about issues that affect our, our wellness. Uh, and so I'm just hoping to create a whole, um, a whole, I don't know, a, 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 I want to do my part in destigmatizing mental health, but I also want to create this sort of network where we're all aware of who, of, of, of each other, the, the providers are aware of each other and that people who may be in need of services know who's in their community and who's providing those services. So that's the... That's the whole objective of Black Healers in Focus. All right. I've subscribed, and I hope that you do as well. Thank you. Today's topic is the impact of relationships on mental health. Relationships are one of the most important aspects of our lives. People who are more socially connected to family, friends, or their community are happier physically, mentally, live longer, and have less stressors and issues in their life because of such support. What is your experience regarding people who have intimate relationships but also have mental health complications? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, when you think about, so think about my background. Um, professionally, I've worked with victims of domestic violence and sexual assault, and one of the things, and I wouldn't even say just that, um, 
families who have been dealing with um, homelessness, even my, even my students, whenever I talk to any of my clients, some of the most pressing issues, some of the biggest stressors in their lives are the relationships that they're having with the people in their lives, whether it's their romantic relationships, their family, their, their relationships with their parents, uh, relationships with friends. Um, so I want to... I want to acknowledge, first of all, stress and just how impactful stress is uh, on our health and how detrimental it can be on our health, especially when it's chronic. And I think, you know, for a long time, it's the, the medical community has been acknowledging how stress, um, how impactful stress, stress is on our health. But I think sometimes we underestimate stress. And the reason I'm talking about that is because that is one of the things that happens in relationships when they're unhealthy is that it creates an enormous amount of stress. And when it goes on for a significant amount of time and it's not being processed and it's not being dealt with, that stress will take its toll. And you hear people complaining about having, um, you know, people get depressed, people have anxiety, people have all these somatic symptoms that start, that they start to experience. They're having headaches, they're having stomach aches. And it, it's, it stems from stress. And when you're in a relationship and your communication is failing and you're, you're, you're not handling conflict in a healthy way, the result is going to be stress. And, and how, you're, how you deal with that stress or don't deal with that stress is going to affect your mental health right. and it's going to affect your physical health. When somebody has a mental health diagnosis that might be deemed chronic or whatever, um, what type of support does the family need? Or what type of support or interventions would you recommend regarding them getting the support they need in order for them to be able to effectively deal with that without becoming more complicated, more stressful, and in some cases, um, dwell into what you um, work with, domestic violence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you're if you're in a relationship where mental health is kind of a focus of the relationship, um, first of all, the caregivers should have um, should start creating a, a team, um, someone that you know having a social worker um, in your team is good because they can help you find resources. Having a therapist on your team is good because that gives you. Um, someone to not only talk to but someone who can help teach you some coping skills um having good friends and family that you can kind of kick back with then and, and just really enjoy uh, your relationships with with other people because those relationships are important to your health as well that socialization is so important um and then having good communication with the person that you're caring for so that one thing, and one thing I would say, um, another reason why having this support system outside of the person that you're in the relationship with is so important is because you m might not always be able to rely on that person to care for some of your other needs just because they are dealing with the mental health. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's what I would say. Um, having, creating a team. A support team for yourself and making sure that you're cared for so that you can care for the person that you're providing 
that your your partner that you who's dealing with mental illness. Right. <clears throat> as a in the past, I worked as a community support team lead, which is basically a therapist that works in the community. Um, the person who I took the job from, I didn't take. She transitioned to another job, so I took her position. Indicated that she would never work with someone with a diagnosis with borderline personality disorder. So they never, um, they never sent referrals to the team at the time with people with that diagnosis. Mm. When I became the team lead, I was like, everybody deserves a chance. We shouldn't be defined by our diagnosis, as I don't really believe in labels per se. And I believe that everyone's an individual and they may not react the same way as someone else with that same diagnosis. As the DSM-5 has made some improvements over previous versions, but it's still not the best diagnostic. It may be the best diagnostic tool. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not the best diagnostic tool that could exist. With that being said, there's just too many variations of people that aren't being taken into consideration regarding some of these diagnoses. Um, yeah, they might have this, this, and this symptoms, which equal that, but then we're not looking at the culture. We're not looking at the um, the experience that they, they may have experienced. <clears throat> which may have contributed to what you now give them as a diagnosis. A lot of times things might be situational. I find myself, if I get somebody from another team or another agency, I have to change the diagnosis because they might have gave them bipolar disorder when all along it might have just been major depressive disorder with one incident of acting out because they were using a substance because to deal with their depression to try to get themselves out of that or because of the parameters of the relationship that they found themselves in. I say that to say this, how does someone effectively, I find that people move in circles, like a, a, borderline, a person with borderline personality disorder may seek a healthy relationship, but because of their issues, they basically exploit that relationship in many aspects, um, become verbally aggressive if certain th- needs aren't being met from their mind state. And the relationship becomes very volatile as they tend to live in a conflict state regarding what ex- the experiences they had. Most people I know with the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder got the diagnosis based on a post- post-traumatic stress disorder, um, a sex- usually a sexual abuse early in their childhood or somewhere in their childhood. Um, everybody on my caseload, at least over the years, had a sexual trauma um, background had a significant physical trauma background that impacted them. Sometimes it was a family member. Many times it was a family member. That's what caused the diagnosis. What kind of support can you give somebody who's dealing with that? And honestly, should they deal with that? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the question. (laughs) I think that's the question. Um, I think it's really hard to, to... to maintain a relationship um, with someone who are dealing with certain mental illnesses, and um, and um, and that's one of them. Um, and it, it is really tough. And so I think that that's a that's a conversation that one has to really have with themselves and think, okay, what's my level of commitment here? Because it takes a level. It takes quite a bit of commitment um, to <laughs> to work with um, um, borderline personality and. Are you are you being are your needs being met in that relationship? Are you being cared for? Because sometimes it can feel abusive um, being in a relationship with um, with borderline personality disorder. Um, so 
so I would I would question um, whether or not that person should be there and and if you feel that you are obligated to care for this for for the person who's who's living with um, with uh, borderline personality how can you be supportive of them without compromising your own mental health and your own physical health and your own well-being um, and so again I always I, I will always kind of go back to there because I think that having a therapist um, in your corner is just even if you don't use a therapist long term um, but just to kind of help work through some of those things work through those questions and, and, and figure out the pros and cons and how it's gonna you know what's the most beneficial um, what's most beneficial to your life right um, but but I think in relationships we always have to and, and this sounds selfish but it's really not you always have to put yourself first um, you have to make sure that you're cared for and that your needs are met so that you can so that you can be solid for somebody else um, but it, but certain mental illnesses can be tough to live with, and so you really right. have to you have to think about um, how you can be healthy and still be able to be in that relationship. And if you can't, then you may need to think about pulling back. Right. Regarding toxic relationships, I've encountered people that may have had the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. So the highs were the highs and the lows were the lows. And that the people they were involved with, oh, really enjoyed the mania, mm -hmm. but not so much the depression system, system um, symptoms. So they weren't as supportive when they were, you know, in the depression, depression state, which follows high states of mania. Mm -hmm. Oh, but when they're manic, oh, yeah. Fun, fun, fun. It can be fun. <laughs> but sometimes even um, the mania can be just too much to handle. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing that kind of comes along with that, sometimes you have people um, who deal with delusions and things right. too. And it, so it takes it to this other level of having to care for, for, for people with, um, with bipolar. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember, um, I mean, I remember a situation, um, this was not someone I worked with professionally, or in any capacity, I wasn't someone I was giving care to as a therapist or counselor or anything. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I remember being in a store and witnessing a woman in her manic state. And she came in and she immediately just started putting everything off the, taking everything off the racks and putting it up on the, on the counter. Cause she mm -hmm. said she's going to pay for this stuff. And she had this elaborate story about how she came into having all this money. And she had this really rich boyfriend and she's going to do all of these, um, altruistic things with this money and all these altruistic things with the clothes that she was buying. And while she's doing this, uh, everyone else on the street, She's hit everyone else on the street. They're coming out and they're all looking for her because she's bounced checks. I mean, she went and tried to buy a car. And she, so she had all these angry merchants out on the street just just waiting to just get a hold of her. And at the same time, so all these things are happening at the same time. And so another uh, somebody else comes into the store who's, I think he was selling 
insurance or something but she hears him say that he was new to the community and he was just going around to the different merchants introducing himself and she goes oh why don't you step into my office and she takes him to another part of the store and she's I hear her inviting him to his to her house so they can have this business conversation and this this woman was not in any way shape or form in a place to have that conversation with him because she didn't have a business. She didn't have money in the bank. She was having a manic episode. And my heart went out to her because I thought, oh my gosh, who's caring for her? She's just a loose on the street. And there's all these angry people who are waiting to get at her. The police eventually came into the store looking for her. And she was like, I don't understand what you're talking about, officer. That chat was good. And she believed, I mean, she really believed that her, her whole story. And it was heartbreaking because I'm like, I'm thinking, who's caring for her? And then the other side of that is, wow, how can anyone keep up with her? Whoever's caring for her, how can they keep up with her and and help her when she might not want to take her meds right she may have taken she may have stopped taking her meds how do you force someone to take their meds right. this is an adult woman she's i think she was probably in her 40s it would have been my guess mm-hmm. um that level of care so i i think i'm saying all that to say is that yeah with 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 bipolar you do have these manic episodes that can they can be fun, but it can also be a lot to handle, and it's detrimental to relationships because she's probably alienated, you know, her her children who were probably trying to care for her. She probably alienated intimate partners because it's just too much to handle. Right. So it's it's tough. It's funny how medications work. It's like, oh, I feel good. I don't need my medicines anymore. When it's the medicines that's assisting you, along with therapy and skill building and things like that, Mm -hmm. to be stabilized. You take that one component away, it's almost like taking away the foundation or a pillar of a building that's holding it up. I have plenty of clients that are like, oh, especially the ones with um, schizophrenia. They may indicate, oh, I feel fine now. I'm going to stop taking my meds. Let's not do that. Because remember, last time you stopped taking your meds, you were in a hospital for uh, 30 days or however long until you got your medication stabilized again. But I, even myself, I mean, we, we all fall into, uh, sometimes, I guess, seven-day regimen of anti- antibiotics. Uh, oh, it's healed now, fourth day into it. So you got three days left for medicine. But yeah, I'm good now, it already healed. Boom, it might come back. It comes back, right? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, it's yeah, crazy. And, and I think, you know, that I think it's so important to have this conversation prior to, sort of like a pre a preemptive or you know pre-crisis mm-hmm. have a conversation with with your team right. who's caring for you about how you're going to handle how are you going to handle a mental health crisis and have it in writing and have it have it notarized whatever it takes so that everyone knows that okay this is what we this is what she agreed upon or what he agreed upon when they were when they weren't in crisis now that they're not necessarily in a place where they can probably make sound decisions this is the this is the decision that they made when they were able to make sound decisions so now this is what our plan is right i think that's important right plan for the crisis before the crisis or get ahead of it and have a game plan as you deal with your mental illness instead of 
trying to deal with it after the fact. Yeah. Anytime somebody has a psychotic break, they lose a little bit more of their core functioning. Yeah. yeah. Additionally, there's new and better medications out that if you don't like taking a pill every day of the week, you might can move to what some medications you can move to as an injectable. I would love to move to an injectable for vitamins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they do have injectable. They have the infusions. <laughs> really? Well, that's something new. I have to look into that. Okay. Because yeah, <laughs> I'm just totally not compliant with my vitamin D regimen, but it's okay. <clears throat> Last point. Can a relationship make you mentally ill? What do you think about that? I absolutely think a relationship can make you mentally ill. Um, I mean, it wouldn't. I don't think that a relationship could 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 bring on bipolar. I don't think, and I don't think it could bring on schizophrenia. You know, not those types of mental illnesses. Right. But it can definitely bring on depression, and it can definitely bring on anxiety. Um, and yeah, so so from that point of view, it can, it can, um, and I think that what you have to keep in mind with relationships is that <clears throat> keep the the principles of, of of good relationships, good healthy relationships, right. kind of at your at the center, uh, making sure that you are communicating well, making sure that you. You understood. You have good conflict resolution. Um, making sure that um, that you've discussed um, the important things about how you're going to manage a relationship, whether it be finances or um, child rearing, um, even sex. Um, all those things are important. Um, you know, when I think about uh, my domestic violence clients. Um, those relations, those relationships. I, I even had clients who've um, experienced PTSD from from the abuse, um, and then you, those things: anxiety, depression, PTSD. Anytime um, you have that level of stress in your life, um, it's going to affect your physical health as well as your mental health. All right. All right. Well, tell people how to reach you. Okay, so I can be reached at 919-619-7626. I'm on Instagram um, under Black Healers in Focus. And my website is the Arnip Center for, Th- Arnip Center for Thriving. And that's Arnip, A-R-N-E-P-C, number 4T.com. Um, and so you can catch Black Healers in Focus. I post every Tuesday night. Um, so it will be streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts on starting the following Wednesday. So that's every week. All right. Well, thank you for a, a wonderful interview and giving us insight regarding the impact of mental health on relationships. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to hearing your next episode of your podcast. All right. All right. Be well, be great. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the More Than Therapy podcast featuring shows such as this and so much more. And go to the website to learn more about resources and how you can get the help you need or the support that you need at www.morethantherapy.org.